Let's go right to the word. Uh, tonight, I want to call your attention again to someone you should know. And his name tonight is Onesiphorus. Onesiphorus. One of a kind, Onesiphorus. Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 15 through 18. Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. You know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me, including Phygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord show mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, he searched hard for me until he found me. May the Lord grant that he will find mercy from the Lord on that day. You know very well in how many ways he helped me in Ephesus. Someone you should know. Uh, I just want to begin by by saying that the Jewish rabbis taught the people to use the divine gift of naming in a moral, appropriate, and thoughtful manner uh, to reject feelings that they are destined to live with and exemplify only the names given to them by others because it was rabbinical thought that by doing so, each can bring honor to God, to the bestowers of their names, and to themselves. Naming a person demonstrates authority. You remember when God created man, he gave him the name Adam from the dust. And one of the first jobs he gave Adam was to give names to everything put under his care. Now, while naming is tied to authority in the scripture, it also reveals intimacy. Naming happens in the context of relationship. Hagar, remember, was wandering in the wilderness and near death, and she gives a name to God when he rescued her. She called him the one who sees me. So names hold meaning. Um, whether it was his mother or his father, we do not know. But the fella was named Onesiphorus. Onesiphorus. His name means bringer of profit. P-R-O-F-I-T. Uh, a shorter definition of his name could be his name means useful, not in the terms that he was at every uh, beck and command and call, but in the sense that his life lifted others by being sensitive to what they needed and what he could provide. So his name, Onesiphorus, embodies the characteristics and the hope 
perhaps of his parents, that those things would be a part of his life. And these four verses reveal they gave him the right name, Onesiphorus. It's not a common name. I don't think I've ever heard in anyone name their son Onesiphorus. But the man was a a carrier, a dispenser of compassion, above and beyond measure. That's why I said he was one of a kind. And the way Paul introduces us to him is by contrast. Uh, Paul, in verse 15, begins by saying, everybody deserted me but Onesiphorus. Now, let me tell you that Paul doesn't literally mean everybody deserted him, all deserted him. But it felt like that when those who pledge and pay play pivotal roles in your life flip on you. It feels like the whole world has left you because you build relationship and you rely on those who are close to you. And anyone knows how that feels. Uh, you say you are my friend and I hit a rough spot and you cut out on me. You won't take my calls, respond to my texts or emails. And and Paul, uh, he calls the names of those two who disappointed him, uh, dishonored him, and deserted him. And you do know that Paul would stay in civil court today because uh, in his writings, in his style, he's always calling names of those who have forsaken God, who's forsaken the faith, who've turned their backs on him. Uh, Paul, you know, would have a hard time understanding us as believers why we speak in such vague generalities. You know, we won't call names. We'll just say, well, you know, some folk, or we say things like, I won't call names, but I believe that Paul called names uh, so that the true church would be spared the hypocrisy and pretension of folk who get close to you only to fail you or turn on you. Because all of our clocks have expiration dates. We don't have any playtime in the kingdom. You have to choose whether you will be consumed with pampering relationships with those who are plain saved or minister to reach the masses with the message of the Christ. Uh, I may be a little off in dwelling too much on this calling names, but I can uh, remember in John 6, uh, chapter, verse 67, uh, where the Lord Jesus uh, turned to a crowd and asked them, will you also go away? I think it was Jesus' way of saying, you know, we don't have time to be pampering and playing games. There's too much serious work to do. 
because church is not supposed to be an in-house staff clinic where we are constantly uh, administering to each other. At what point do we become healed and strong and go after uh, the sin sick? So with this fella, the only onesiphorus in the Bible, he's one of a kind. So what do we need to know about him? What's the teaching from uh, this one of a kind tonight? Let me lift quickly a couple things. Uh, I think we can learn, first of all, from his deeds, his deeds. Uh, Paul says, uh, he often refreshed me. That word refresh means uh, to prop up, to cool off. Um, the idea is that in Paul's situation, Onesiphorus brought him probably fresh clothes, some salves, some fresh bread, some oil, some other essentials. I really don't think that Paul was expecting it or expecting much because it's recorded later in this letter that the apostle's final request was only for his books, his papers, and his cloak, chapter 4, verse 13. But when Onesiphorus came with a care box and he kept making return trips, because the scripture says he often refreshed me, uh, when he did that, those are the kind of deeds that deserved mention. Onesiphorus was sensitive to the situation, and what he did was appropriate for the situation. And Paul says it was like refreshment, because understand, Paul was literally in and out of chains, but if you take that notion a little further, chains speak of one's lack of movement, one's confinement. Think in terms like this. Most of us, well, I won't say most of us, but a heap of us are approaching the senior years of our life. You know, we're... 60s, 70s, and 80s, and a few blessed to be 90. And uh, we're somewhat familiar with being chained. We can't get around like we used to. We want to, but those rightest brothers tell us we can't. You know the rightest brothers, don't you? Ver, rightest, author, rightest, and all those others. So in that sense, how refreshing it is to have a hand connected to a heart that wants to bring uh, us some refreshment, some cheer, some care without an invoice. So this Onesiphorus did these sort of deeds for Paul on a regular basis. Paul says, he often refreshed me, and he wasn't ashamed of my change. Whether it was a house arrest or actual prison, it didn't make Onesiphorus no difference. 
His friend needed him. And when you act from the heart, you don't keep any mileage tab deeds. It's also a message about distance because it's intimated in the text. They met in Ephesus. However, when Onesiphorus finds out that Paul is in chains in Rome, he makes it his business to search until he finds his brother. Now, I looked at a map in preparation for tonight's lesson, and on a straight line, the distance between Ephesus and Rome is about 832 miles. But actual travel time and mileage uh, was really longer. And so you got to appreciate that the distance did not prevent the delivery. Let me say that again. Distance shouldn't prevent delivery. That really gives a new meaning to going out of the way, doesn't it? So there are his deeds. There's a, a, a lesson about distance. Here now about diligence, because he says he searched with diligence until he found his friend Paul. Diligence is, is promptness. Diligence is seriousness. Diligence is priority. Paul wasn't an afterthought or an extra item if time allowed. Onesiphorus didn't give up until he found the apostle in the great city of Rome. Can you imagine the magnitude of the search, you know, looking for Paul? in one of the dungeons or one of the house confinement spaces in such a massive city? What diligence, what priority? My brothers and sisters, may we ever repent of giving up so soon because it's outside of our schedule of convenience and comfort because Onesiphorus, one of a kind, didn't rest until he found his forsaken friend. Deeds, distance, diligence. Let me say a word about delight. Because Paul prays twice for Onesiphorus. In verse 16, he says that the Lord would show mercy on this man and his household, his household. Oh, by the way, did I tell you that the quality you dispense into the lives of others comes back to your address? Onesiphorus has to be delighted because he gets a cover of kindness and mercy to blanket his household. Let me tell you, brothers and sisters, when we do good without grumbling, without always wanting to present an invoice or get paid or praised, God has a way of delighting us with mercy. Hallelujah. Listen, there's generations 
children and grandchildren that don't have the foundation we have. So we ought to thank God that we can delight and not play games in this work. The reality is that our being an omniciferous, a quality dispenser of friendship and kindness pays off. Verse 18, check this out. He says, the Lord grant that he, Onesiphorus, will find mercy on that day. Verse 16, Paul says he wants the Lord to show some mercy at his crib. Verse 18, Paul says, I pray uh, that the Lord would grant him mercy on that day. What day? Well, when life comes to an end, of course, when life comes to an end, uh, uh, we don't know what shape, status, or station we'll be in. So we'll need the Lord's mercy, but not just at the end. But how about the journey toward the end? Because all of us are running out of days. We're faring, fair to middling to pretty good now. But you know, just recently we were reminded that it doesn't take long for the wind to change. Have you revisited the devastation of Hurricane Ian? One week you can be sailing in your yacht and swimming in your pool. And the next week, the yacht is upside down in your pool. That's the day you want to find mercy. Paul didn't have anything else to pay his friend for his quality proven friendship. But Paul was on dynamic terms with the paymaster in glory. Hallelujah. And based upon his personal experience, Paul knew that the Lord's mercy would cover all the territory in Onesiphorus' life. Listen, mercy will cover you when you have a heart to do the right thing. So what a delight to know that Onesiphorus is reaping a harvest from the seeds he sowed in someone else's life. So he is a bringer of profit, benefit, improvement. Thanks, Lifeliners, for allowing me a few minutes to introduce you to Onesiphorus. The question cannot always be, what do you bring to the table? It has to be, what do you take from your table to refresh someone who doesn't have their own table? So let me end on the note I started. Paul calls names. Yeah, Paul's a name caller. He calls Sagellus and Hermogenes. He remembers them as herders. And then he calls the name of Onesiphorus. He remembers him as a helper. And maybe uh, that's uh, the Scripture's way of reminding us that 
in our humanness. We remember those who hurt us real badly, but we don't dwell on it. But thank God that we lift before him those who help us dearly. Yeah, you're not going to get through life without some herders and some helpers. But the real deal, the onociferous, more than compensates for the jealousies and the hermogenes. So I think onociferous is someone you should know. I think he's one of a kind. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And that's the lesson for tonight.